Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the financial and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, Colleen Best, DVM, PhD, CCFP, is going to talk to us about veterinarian burnout. Dr. Best's PhD research focused on relationships in equine practice, including veterinarian client and referral veterinarian specialist communication. Dr. Best operates her own business, Best Vet Coaching and Consulting, in Ontario. I'm Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement, and I'm your host today. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Thank you, Dr. Best, for joining us today to talk about the important topic of veterinarian burnout. I I'm glad I'm glad to be here, and I know we've had a couple conversations about this, and you know it's frankly always worth another crack at it. See if we can put it another way that helps. It is. And last year in episode 19, if if you want to go back and listen, we talked about battling burnout with Dr. Best. But we feel like this topic, as she said, is important enough to revisit with some updated information and to allow us to repeat why it is so critical that equine veterinarians recognize and actually take steps to address and avoid burnout. So today we're going to talk about what veterinarians can do to avoid it, to recognize it, and to better care for themselves if they're experiencing burnout. So why, Dr. Best, are we seeing so many veterinarians say in survey after study after research that they are burning out and they're stressed? You know, we are my little my little son who just turned four yesterday. uh, That was his third pandemic birthday. And, you know, we've all had different experiences of the pandemic, but certainly one thing the pandemic has done is create a much more resource limited world. And I'm using the word resource pretty liberally, and I'm doing that on purpose. So resources in terms of support networks, um, resources in terms of human resources, people that we might, whether it's, um, you know, a new veterinarian to join our practice, a locum, an assistant, you know, we're short on human resources. And the resources that we have had are stretched because there are lots of sort of reasons why people are more invested or seeking more veterinary care than they have in the past. But, you know, we are generally busier than we have been before. So we really exist in this resource limited world. And there are a number, sort of a number of different ways to consider burnout, but one of the most straightforward is that the demands being put that we experience, that we perceive, exceed the resources that we perceive we have. So this idea that resources have been limited, and they were always limited, but they frankly feel, certainly in my life, they feel quite a bit more limited, and the demands have been increasing in the face of no resources to help us keep up. And it's important to appreciate that like all of those things are subjective and that's appropriate because the way we experience the world is subjective. So, you know, we're not gonna try to write anybody off because that's just our experience is ours and that's all that we can have. It's, It's also really important to appreciate that, you know, given that every, given that all of this is subjective and it is our experience that we are the only one who can change that. And I, and I'm aware that that can sound like gaslighting and shaming and blaming advice. And 
I, from the bottom of my heart, do not mean it that way. I actually mean it in as an invitation, as an outstretched hand in terms of there is an opportunity waiting for you for you to take more control over your experience choice around where you spend your resources and a way to maybe shift your perception of the demands that exist such that things feel different and that feeling actually ends up being and so then we sort of are in this place of yeah you know and it's in some ways a natural state of being for there to be more demands than there are resources if that's in some ways, that's that's a great thing for us as business people, right? That means, hey, yep, yeah, yeah, I can I can make money, I can I can feel comfortable that I can earn a living. But it does give us some additional choice, and if we don't make the choice, the choices get made for us around. Okay, so where do I where do I set some limits, some boundaries? How do how am I choosing how to engage with the world instead of just sort of reacting to everything that's coming at me, which often feels really, really overwhelming. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, the surveys, the AAP's done, Equimanagement's done, Dr. Amy Grice has done, AVMA has done. They all have shown that, gee, during the pandemic, vets, for the most part, made more money and had a high demand for their time. But as you said, they're stretched very thin. They're trying to figure out emergency duty. They're trying to figure out how to have some boundaries and time away. So what does that look like? What advice do you give when somebody goes, I've got more clients demanding services than I have resources to handle that? So what do you do in those scenarios? The first thing we do is we acknowledge that's a really hard spot to be. It's like the first thing we do, because as care providers, we all want to make sure horses get good care. We want to say yes. We want to find a way to make it work. And I've been doing a number of student talks lately. And one thing that I laugh at myself for is that as a vet student, I had a motto and it was something's got to give and it's going to be me. And that was kind of my motto. And I laughed, but like that was okay. And the research on burnout that comes from human medicine really says burnout isn't okay. And when I say it's not okay, I mean, it has consequences on patient care. Um, In humans, that looks like inappropriate medication prescribing, medical errors, you know, turnover and other things. But there are tangible consequences on patient care. Obviously, veterinary medicine is different. I don't, I think it's well within the realm of belief that when we are burnt out, it does impact patient care. And whether it simply interacts how we engage with a horse or how we engage with the client, it impacts the care we provide. And that, in my experience, is an incredibly scary thing to even consider because we are willing to sacrifice ourselves, right? Something's got to give and it's going to be me and, and that's okay as long as the horses are okay. And so I think we need to consider, but just consider, you don't, you don't have to go down the garden path and really believe me here, but just consider that the way this, our state of being, burnt out or not, experiencing mental illness or not, experiencing compassion fatigue or not, has the potential to impact patient care. And I say that because it's probably one of the only things 
that is going to motivate a change in behavior. And so if we can accept that it's possible, then maybe we can shift towards, okay, so what might I need to do to move away from that? Because that's absolutely not what I want to do in practice, right? I I am here to provide good care. And so if we can, we can hit that, we, you know, touch, touch, like you look at the third rail of that, just, just look, don't, don't touch it. And then say, so what do I need? What do I need in my life, my whole life, not just my practice, but what do I need in my whole life to, to feel like I have enough resources to do my job? Resources, energy, time, like care and compassion, all of those things, right? Humor, patience, et cetera. What do I need? And I went to a talk at AAP a long time ago and some wise, insightful veterinarian said, my clients know that if I don't get to ride on Wednesday mornings, like they won't get me any other day. Like that's what I need to be whole as a person. And it really stuck with me. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, what do I need to be whole as a person so that my clients get me the rest of the time? And it might be, well, some of those clients that aren't very good clients or I don't enjoy working with them or their horses almost kill me every time because they aren't worked with on the ground, not because, you know, they're just genuinely challenged, right? Then maybe some of those clients aren't clients anymore. You know, maybe this is the impetus to say, yep, we are going to start an on-call group. Maybe we do have to have some hard realities about, well, you're going to haul in or I can't come out after midnight. So I do think that some of this does, and obviously there are are, um, regulations we need to abide by around how we provide emergency care. And I'm not suggesting we fly in the face of any regulatory body. But I really do think It might be I need to work four days a week or three and a half days a week, given the emergency burden, right? There are a number of different creative thinking ways that are going to depend on everybody's unique practice. But we need to be willing to say, what does it take to fill my bucket? Like really, and that's goodness knows I I love, (laughs) I love water buckets, hate carrying them, but we need to think about the resources we have, right? As a full bucket. And once it's empty, you have to fill it up again. So even in our day, okay, well, like, was did I give myself time to eat? Did I give myself time to go to the bathroom? Um, like, am I even just like the fundamentals, particularly like we're in March, we're, we're you know, breed, we're in breeding season, we're starting to do all the spring show prep, all, like many things are coming, if not having just started. And so really thinking, Okay, so like, do I need do I need to plan time off in July so I have something to look forward to? You know, do I what time can I reserve for myself? It used to be when I was in practice, Friday nights were mine and I'd get home from work and I'd make myself a nice dinner and I would just have like movie night. (laughs) And I never booked anything on Friday night because it was my recovery night. And it was so lovely. So, you know, whether you need a Friday night of connection with friends, because that's really something we've been lacking, like, and what fills everyone's bucket is different. You know, do you need quiet time? Do you need barn time with your horse? Do you need time with your family? 
and I, I say that, and we can't asterisk in a podcast, but it is possible to be burnt out at home. Um, and whether I, my kids are six and, you know, newly four. So certainly in the pandemic, that's something that I've experienced. Um, you know, if you have animals and pets at home or, or a farm, like it is possible to be burnt out on other facets of your life. So really just looking and saying, how do I support, you know, manageable burdens? What can I, what can I offload? I, I think we need to get creative and I think we need to give ourselves permission to do that, which is really hard. And go back and I'm a, and, and you've got to know that Dr. Best and I talk a lot before we ever start on these podcasts. You have to tell the story. So there is there is a story and it's not mine. And I, I don't know where um, I don't know its origin. So I apologize. I can't I can't cite it properly. But the story was like this. There's an investment banker taking a vacation in a small coastal village and there's a small boat there with just one fisher person there the boat has several large fish in it great the investment banker was impressed by the quality of the fish and asked the fisher person how long it took to catch them only a little while the person said the banker said why why didn't you stay longer and catch more fish the first person said i have enough to support my family investment banker says what do you do with the rest of your time fish person says i sleep late fish a little play with my children have a rest, my partner, stroll in the village where I drink wine, play music with my friends. I have a a full and busy life. The investment banker laughs. I could help you. You know, you could spend more time fishing and buy buy bigger boats with the proceeds that you earn. You could buy several boats until you have a fleet of boats. You could sell directly to a processor, a wholesaler, own your own cannery. You could control the product processing and distribution. And said, of course, you'd need to leave your small coastal village and move to a bigger city where you would run your growing enterprise. Fishburne says, how long would all that take? Investment maker says, 15 to 20 years. Fishburne says, like, what then? And he laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO, sell your company, and become very rich. You could make millions. Millions, says the fish person. Then what? Then you would retire. You would move to a small coastal village where you'd sleep late, fish a little, play play with your grandkids, take a rest with your partner, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could drink wine and play music. And that to me is such an amazing reflection. And it, it is representative of, I think, you know, a number of things that are true about the sort of society and our culture, but also veterinary medicine in the sense of like, we are constantly striving to be bigger, to get more clients, to be more secure. And I appreciate all of those pieces around being a small business owner and wanting to feel like you can provide for your family and, and have a secure living. And I, I'm not trying to diminish any of that at all. I am trying to say that we only get, you know, one, one spin around the earth kind of thing. And it's worth thinking about how we're spending our time. And so at some point, and there, there's, there's some really interesting research around how much money you need to earn in order to be happy, quote unquote, and above which point you don't get more happy for the money that you have. Um, I believe the number, it's around 80, it's around 80 or $90,000. I believe that's US. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the stat ready, but it's worth considering in your life, as it is, what do you need 
in order to feel secure, in order to feel comfortable, in order to have the things that are meaningful to you and your family. Because that's one of the other things that really drives us sort of behind the scenes is this, again, cultural belief that bigger and better and, and, you know, and hiring an associate, but knowing that right now, building your practice to hire an associate, well, you might not find the associate as quick. So we might end up shouldering a lot of that work for a long time. And, you know, depending on, you know, the things you love and your access to them currently, it's worth just thinking how, in some ways, how can I have my cake and eat it too? You know, I, I recently did a stint in small animal practice and I have to say, my heart doesn't live in small animal practice. My heart lives in equine practice. And, and you know, good, good lesson to learn. But, you know, there, there are parts of all of us that love what we do. And there are parts of us that also love other things. And so how do we look at making space for those other things? You know, like we love to fish and not want to own a cannery. That's okay. So I, I think that in some ways that goes against the grain of some of the things that we've been taught throughout our lives and sort of socialized to believe. And some of you are going to be like, awesome. And some are going to be like, oh God. Again, consider the middle ground, especially during this time when we know resources are really tight. So it might be that you hold, you plan to hold steady for five years before you start growing again, depending on the stage of your practice, the stage of your family, the stage of your hobbies. You know, if you got a young horse and they don't, you know, they don't need much or frankly, maybe they do need lots of time. Great. Then cool things, you know, get your horse up and going. And when they're, you know, when they're calmer and middle aged and don't need as much from you, Great. Go back and devote more time to your practice. There, there are lots of ways without doing everything right now all at the same time. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. And I think that is, it's, it's kind of the key is that it, the demands are so intense. And again, as you said, veterinarians, the reason you get into practice is because you care. So how do you turn down clients and not feel like you failed or bad about yourself or start beating yourself up. So we could digress and talk about self-compassion, but that's probably a larger digression than today's um, podcast is about. I think it's important to set your sights on what's important. And so again, think about what's important to you in your practice. You know, we, we can sort of look at companion animal practice and it's interesting because some of companion animal that now there's this sort of high volume practice, right? There's sort of high volume spay neuter or again, just practices that are more geared towards seeing more patients in it. There's sort of, it's less high touch. It's maybe less individualized, but it, for a certain segment of the population, it's really valuable. Um, and then we have sort of, I think what most of us probably think of, which is more, you know, half hour appointments, traditional companion animal practice. And so I think as 
you know, in equine, we certainly have not differentiated that way. But I think it is important to think about what about how you provide care is important to you. And again, that comes down to, so what do I need to do to be able to provide that care? Early on in my career, I really felt like I wanted to work on, you know, high-end horses, high-end hunter jump. That was my And as I started practicing, I realized that I really loved working with people who loved their horses, whether they were backyard horses or performance horses. I didn't really care what their job was. I just really loved the connection I had with people who truly and deeply love their horses. I'm not trying to say that performance people don't love their horses. I'm just saying that for me, I realized that that wasn't as important as I thought it was. And again, for me, working with those clients was more rewarding. So that helped me. I, you know, I, I gave back, like I gave them something and they gave me something as opposed to some of the performance barns where I just, the, the reward, the return on investment I got from the work was less. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, Hey, what, what, when do I get the most back? Because that again, helps us manage our resources. And so I think that really. And again, in some ways, we don't have a choice anymore. We cannot say yes to everything. There was a time when we could, and and I say we could not like we should or all of those things, but like we are rapidly, if not having passed it a while ago in the, we can't do all of the things, you know, we, and I, you know, lots of people are trying to work on some upstream solutions to the veterinary shortage, but each of us is only one veterinarian and we cannot fix it alone. The, the best thing we can do is to work to be, to ensure that we can practice for a long time. And if we put ourselves in a precarious spot of burnout where we aren't managing ourselves well, we are actually putting, our, putting ourselves and our ability to care for anyone at all at risk. So I think it's shifting it's shifting towards, you know, how, how is saying no to one person saying yes to a bunch of other people? It's how is saying like no to some unrewarding experiences or even some rewarding things that are just not feasible saying yes to myself, saying yes to my ability to still be in practice in 10 years, you know, saying yes to my family and the other things that are really important to me. So this idea that, you know, when we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. Or um, I, I remember hearing it first from <laughs> Dr. Andy Clark, but, you know, he said, instead of saying, um, instead of just saying sort of yes or say no, say that's not a priority to me right now. And that one's a bit of a zinger when it comes to, um, you know, things about your family. Or, you know, can, can, can you, can you pick so-and-so up today? Can you take them, you know, to their riding lesson? Can you know that's just not a priority for me today? But when you're saying no, maybe you really, you're saying no, because you have to go to an emergency. Okay. So really being aware that we live our priorities every day by the things we do. And again, nothing is ever that simple. Like we take care of our families by doing our job so we can afford a house and pay for food. Like these, these are complicated things that I'm oversimplifying. Right. And just like, I know, and you know that I know. So we all know, 
it is also sometimes helpful to be blunt with yourself. Say, what am I prioritizing? And what do I need to, if that's not in align, an alignment with what I want, how do I shift that? Yeah, I used to have something that I would say is, I can do any of that. I can't do all of that. Mm, I really like that one. And I've ha- I will say, I used to, I've practiced how to say no. Um, I, I, just, I just don't think I can is an interesting one. Um, you know, I have a couple things on the go. Can I get back to you about that delaying the note? Like I, there are a variety of strategies to support like bridging to know, like that sounds like a really interesting opportunity. Like someone asked, can you, you know, can you be the horse show vet at the weekend? You know, and you're like, Oh no, like that sounds like a really interesting opportunity. You know, I'd be interested to, you know, as I balance my engagements, it would help me to know, am I being paid for that? You know, like what? So again, there are ways to support saying no because sometimes a straight up no or a quick no can feel aggressive or uncomfortable um, even if it's completely warranted so i would encourage you to practice practice your no practice what feels true and authentic um, so that it will be there for you when you need it and again i I think you were the one that we had talked about or or that if you set Boundaries like my practice only handles emergencies for current clients. Mm-hmm. And if someone calls you, then you can say, I'm sorry, my practice only handles emergencies for current clients. So one thing that I'm going to highlight that, you know, you mentioned that I probably said is use the term your practice, not you. So you can depersonalize it. You know, it doesn't have to be about you. And you can also share like in order to ensure that, you know, like that we are able to provide good care, you know, in order to ensure that we are available, you know, because we've all we've all been paged when we're already at an emergency. Right? Like we've all we've all had that sort of like and you're on the other side of the practice. So, you know, it, again, these are not. And I again, it's important to have thought through and gotten quiet and comfortable in advance of why, why do I have that boundary? Why do I have that rule or guideline? Because there is a good reason. And sometimes we choose to share that reason and sometimes we don't. And, and that's okay, but we can be comfortable that that's what, that's what we need to do to be able to do our job and to be uh, to, to be ourselves. And so it, it is meaningful to, again, have them planned out so you're not in the moment. Um, and, you know, all of those tricky things about, oh, well, I, I wanted to, or, you know, my veterinarian is away, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, like, we, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not able to help at this time, you know, and, and if you have backups in your area, you know, like a vet school or a clinic that does Holland, then awesome. Have those numbers ready. Um, you can wish them well, you know, like, and you can say, I, I wish it were different. You know, I, I wish that we had more veterinary staff. I wish we had, you know, unfortunately, that's not the state of the world. And so I'm not able to go out at this time. And then don't apologize. And then you did it. And then, you know, good luck. All done. I, I wish you and your horse the best. 
And that's important to understand that, you know, there, there is another old saying, uh, failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. And let's just pause there because it is really hard when someone calls you and says, like, I'm an emergency. Can you come? You know, horses, you know, and a, the horse is almost always like in tough. Right. And you feel really awful. You know, sometimes we go for the horse. We don't go for the person. Right. It is really important to stop and appreciate the fact that, you know, did, did the owner have a backup plan? Do they have a relationship with more than one vet for this reason? You know, did they do that? Did they save? Do they have, can they pay? Like there are so many decisions involved. And again, like when it's goodness knows, you know, it's Friday night and this has been going on since Wednesday. There were so many decisions the client made. The client decided that they didn't, the client chose not to have a relationship with a veterinarian. The client chose not to call during regular business hours or at the time. The client has chosen maybe that they don't have the money to pay you at the time of service. The client is like the client chose to have a horse. The client chose not to have a trailer so that they couldn't trailer to you or the client has chosen not to pay a trailer fee to, to trailer the horse somewhere. So all of those things were not your choice. In this equation, one thing was your choice. Can I provide care? And you've made that decision for a very good reasons that, again, are going to be unique to everybody. And so that awareness of what was in my control and what was out of my control and how that's influenced the situation, those are good boundaries. Those are healthy boundaries to have. And I'm not saying that they're easy. This is one of those like simple and not easy things. But I really, really, and I'm doing like a fist smack here. It is important to appreciate that you cannot control the client's choices and they might be angry at you. And I say guilt and grief are ugly. <laughs> and they are. And society today, folks seem to have no problem just you know, throwing their junk in your backyard from that standpoint. And part of what will help stave off burnout and stave off compassion fatigue is us in our heads going, you got here because of you, you didn't get here because of me. And it might seem like it's me because this is where the rubber meets the road, but this was not me. And that's part of what is going to hopefully ease or give us some comfort when we are when we are feeling guilty and when we're having a hard time and honestly i'm not sure that we could say anything else that would help any more than that but i think that that we just need to hear it often that's why you and i said we we felt like this was a good topic to revisit and as you said to give ourselves permission to make these decisions and then actually practice some of it ahead of time and think through it so that we're able to execute them. I really think just like when we see old horses and people say to us, I'm, you know, like, I don't want to wait too long, but, you know, I'm hoping, you know, maybe it's not, it's not right now. Right. And we're looking at the horse going, oh, you know, like, I think we already probably have waited too long, but here we are. And if we need to squeak out another couple of weeks, I guess we could. I think that for the most part, when we start to consider how can I support myself, 
how can I, you know, look to avoid burnout? You know, how can I set some boundaries? How can I engage in good self-care? I think we are probably already past the point when it would have been, you know, like we passed the prevention stage and it is worth saying like, and it look is never too late at hundred percent, never too late, but it is worth again, remembering that this is like one of those things where, Oh yeah, we're still doing okay. We're still going. And that's different than being okay. You know, if you think about yourself five or 10 years ago, how does this compare to that? Um, and, you know, who, who do you want to be? You know, who do you want to be? And, and how can you be closer to that? Not sort of maybe the version of yourself you can think of. That's that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Best. We we should just do this every week. Just give these little pep talks every week and, and tips to help people because I think it's almost needed because then something else comes up and we're distracted and we forget all our good intentions. But this is something that has to become part of us. I think what's really important is like you can, like you can and you will. And no one gets this right the first time. And I think that's really hard from, for, as a profession of folks that are used to being incredibly high achievers. But my, like my journey of even being able to give good advice, and I assure you, I practice less well than the advice I give, but it's been a long road. And I think we need to be gentle with ourselves. So any step you can take, like any step you can take is like high five dance party worthy really worth celebrating yourself for trying even thinking of saying no even like like getting to the end of this podcast like and I, I I mean it sincerely because these are hard behavior patterns to break they are hard to shift they are and it it can it can be really hard for even to feel like the things I'm saying are true even consider them so be gentle with yourself in this space, knowing that we do need, you know, resources, right? We need resources even to be able to think of change. So be kind and gentle with yourself along the way and know that any step you're taking is a positive step. Well, I think that is a wonderful spot to stop. Thank you so much, Dr. Best, for being with us today. And we'd like to thank our audience for joining us on the Business of Practice podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit, for letting us get together and talk about these important topics. So you can visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear every episode of Business of Practice. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. The Business to Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.